Hi everyone, this is Andrew Davies from Insight Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers. Today we are joined by Frank Lebrun and Denny Vivian. Frank is an associate professor in internal medicine at the Leiden University Medical Center, and Denny is a professor and hospital practitioner at Cannes Normandy University. They recently presented their work on microvascular and functional ultrasound imaging in stroke and neurovascular diseases. Let's dive in. Here we have a question for you, maybe to begin, Frank. How are you able to form the microfiber architecture image using FUS? And what model do you use of the fiber arrangement? So that has been developed, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's a good question. We do that in, in collaboration with Mikael Tontos Lamb, and they have developed soft, so they track the microbial right? And then they can make the right position. It's a 2D imaging, right, as far. So we don't do, we don't have access to the 3D, but I know that they have developed the 3D probe. So I don't have access directly to the soft, but I know that now it's developed by the Iconis system. So they have directly made that right. Okay, wonderful. For Denny, a question here. For both of you, I suppose, we could, maybe Frank, you can follow up afterwards. The question is, what are the possibilities of translation to the clinic of the methodologies that you've presented? For example, the molecular MR imaging and also the fast ultrasound imaging, specifically in the field of stroke. It's uh, an interesting question. So uh, about MR imaging for molecular imaging, first point is to uh, have access to uh, particles which are biodegradables and which could be used in human. So this, uh, we are working on that uh, right now. And uh, we have a patent on uh, particles which are now uh, biodegradable and be uh, useful and could be used in human. And it's just a paper uh, which was accepted and which uh, come out uh, in Science Advance uh, in a couple of, of weeks from now. And also the second point is to have uh, a good antibody for the target that you are looking for. So about the particles, it's, it's almost done. And uh, the second point is to, to get uh, good antibodies which could uh, bind to the, to the target in human. And about fast ultrasound imaging, I think that we, something that we can go uh, fast to clinic and uh, we have uh, a clinical investigation ongoing collaboration with uh, one uh, neurosurgeon, which is Thomas Gabriel uh, in your lab in Caen. And Thomas is looking uh, for a secondary ischemic lesion following uh, intracerebral hemorrhages. And uh, he's going to uh, use uh, fast ultrasound imaging to follow vasospasm and uh, secondary brain injury. So I, I think that for fast ultrasound imaging, we are, we are not uh, so far of uh, clinical application and there is already a paper published not by my group by others for its use in human and for molecular uh, imaging it's not for tomorrow but we think that there is good opportunities of translation to clinic in the future wonderful did you want to elaborate on your own experiences as well frank with the opportunities for translation from preclinical to clinical we are working on small vascular disease so the first idea is like what we will do in the next few years is actually to use functional ultrasound imaging to monitor drug treatment, starting with HHT. So we, we do believe that there is a lack of actually, um, let's say, 
possibility to actually monitor drug acceptor bleeding, which is just a survey. So the idea is using the imaging and starting with patients as their own control before treatment and during treatment and after treatment during trial will help to see whether or not functional ultrasound would be sufficient enough to have access to these low, small size vessels, right? There is no imaging to do that uh, these days. So that's our idea, actually, in all internal organs, starting with the brain. So we have actually a collaboration with Iconis and, and Michael Dunter to, to do that in the trial in the next three years. All right. Well, wonderful. Maybe we'll see you uh, here again with some updates on, on both uh, both of your work. Question for you, Denny, regarding the significance uh, or the stroke model. And could you repeat the significance of the stroke model in awake mice? I, I'm not sure if they mean the statistical significance or just repeating the whole experiment. So perhaps you could comment on that. Okay. So in the literature, there are a lot of uh, stroke models uh, available. Most of the stroke models used uh, in preclinic right now in the literature are uh, permanent occlusion of the middle cerebral artery, which is uh, electrocoagulation of the middle cerebral. So this will never occur in human. And uh, a model which is uh, largely used also, it's uh, occlusion by using a filament, it's endovascular approach. And then you can remove the filament. Uh, people would say that it could mimic uh, one of the clinical uh, situations, so mimicking a thrombectomy, so endo endovascular removal of the clot. But all of these models are not uh, induced by in-situ clot formation. It's what we developed in my group several years ago. And now we have uh, models in which we can uh, induce stroke by uh, local clot formation. And we can monitor the composition of the clots, either rich in fibrin, so which make, means that they are, these kind of clots are sensitive to the gold standard treatment RTPA, or rich in platelets, and it become uh, resistant to TPA. So exactly uh, mimicking uh, the main clinical situation. So what I, I should uh, add is that this last uh, 10 years, 15 years, all the, the, the preclinical investigation which have suggested uh, treatment for stroke, using this uh, preclinical model failed when they translate to clinic. So we hope that uh, by using models which are more close to the clinical situation, so the ones that I just mentioned with the in-situ class formation, and also relevant modalities of brain imaging, MR and fast ultrasound imaging, should help to uh, to make the preclinical investigation more relevant with, uh, we hope, successful translation to the clinical situation. Wonderful. Maybe if you could uh, both finish off with some comments regarding, there's a great question here. What are your, in your opinion, the gaps to fill in prior to the translation to the clinic for fast ultrasound imaging? And maybe we can start with Frank and, and then finish off with Denny. Well, I think the resolution is the key there. I mean, in, in preclinical models, of course, we can use the photonic imaging, and then we have access almost to the cell level, right? So we can really um, see what the consequences of of cellular defect associated with vascular dysfunctions. But as soon as you want to go for the clinic, then there's a, a true gap. So with a lot of preclinical studies we do and drug essay we do, we cannot translate this to the clinic because we don't have the readout. So I think with the ultrasound today, we will reach that level, right? Having access not only to, I mean, capillary level in terms of images, but also to their functionality. Then we might be able, I mean, to translate what within clinical levels with drug treatment to the clinic. All right, fantastic. Okay. And Denny, some final thoughts. I think that the, the main point for translation to clinic would be to convince clinicians that this uh, technology uh, could help them uh, for diagnosis, prognosis, and uh, and thus to decide treatment. 
And I, th I think most of the preclinical investigators are highly convinced about the relevance of this methodology. But to convince a clinician, I think it should be clearly uh, demonstrated that uh, the skull is not a problem because there are still the idea that the skull is a limitation. And I know that it is not the case because there is a clear data demonstrating that uh, you can work through the skull. And the second uh, main point for me is uh, also to uh, to get uh, images which could uh, include the whole brain. Because uh, at least for ischemic or hemorrhagic stroke, stroke, you don't know where the, the lesion is located or the clots is located. And uh, by using CT scan or MRI, you can have, have access to the whole brain. And it is the main limitation. If we convince clinicians that, that you can go through the skull and take skull and that it would be possible to have a, a view on the whole brain, then it should be more easy to convince them to use this methodology because it, it's... Uh, so the, it's less expensive, maybe more easy to use the, uh, at the bedside than a CT scanner. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.